Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Earlier um, uh, this week, I was asked uh, by a young person, how old do I think um, the Earth is? And I said, well, I think, you know, the Earth is about, you know, 6,000 years old or so. And he, he was surprised. He said, well, how do you know that? And I said, well, the only way really I can know that is from the from the Bible because this is the only sort of time scale that we have. So that's really in, in terms of knowing how can we know. We have this revelation from God as God spoke to um, holy men in the past had an experience with God, they had supernatural experiences with God, and God revealed to them the age of, oh well, the history of the earth. And, and Moses, of course, was one of those uh, people who wrote this down in the early books, and particularly the, the book of Genesis, where God talks about creating. Uh, God revealed to Moses that the earth was created in six literal 24-hour earth, earth days. And we have the story of the the patriarchs, and we can work out, um, or the descendants of the first couple, Adam and Eve, we can work out from the ages when their children had children and so forth, that um, the uh, creation event took place about one and a half thousand years or thereabouts uh, before Noah's flood. And then from, again, from uh, histories, we can work out that Noah's flood uh, was about four and a half thousand years ago, roughly speaking. And so we add those two together, we get 6,000 years. So prior to Noah's flood, of course, there's um, the only history that we have is that that was recorded in the Bible. But one of the fascinating things is that the there are these flood accounts around the world, in most of the cultures. And I've talked about this before. And as I was talking to this young person, I said, this, um, you know, this is actually highly significant that in these different cultures, we find stories of creation. And we find the stories of a flood that wiped out people because people had become very bad uh, in their actions and that God needed to, to stop the, the wickedness. It was just totally out of control and that the world was destroyed by a flood and that there were some survivors, only a few survivors, and they survived in a special boat. And, of course, I've mentioned previously that some of these uh, accounts um, had the boat a cube and others a basket, you know, supported by a fish and so forth. But the Bible account of the description of the ark is very, very realistic from a, our knowledge now of seaworthiness, of, of design, of craft to withstand storms and so forth. Makes a lot of sense in its size. But one of the important factors of these accounts is that they go up to the flood and some of them, of course, talk about the Tower of Babel too and there are many cultures where people built towers like this. But 
One of the fascinating things is that when we look at these um, accounts, these that have been preserved in uh, civilizations such as in Central America and and uh, even in Australia, nor um, the indigenous uh, Australian Aborigines in uh, parts of uh, northern Australia had the creation account, had the uh, flood account, and sometimes um, people would say, well, they were probably taught these things by missionaries. But one of the interesting things about these accounts in say, Australia and uh, in the Americas, is that that's where they end. They end with the the flood uh, because after the flood and after particularly after the Tower of Babel, which was a couple of hundred years after the flood, we have the dispersion of the, the nations. So these cultures don't have the stories of the crossing of the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, um, the Israelites entering Canaan and so forth. They don't have those accounts. And so if, in actual fact, they had been taught these things by missionaries at some stage, uh, they would have included those stories um, and write up, and of course, stories about Jesus. Whereas these creation and flood accounts end there. Because that's after the flood, that's when the, the nations, as the populations grew up to... Um, at the time of the Tower of the Babel when they started building those towers, they started again turning back to worshipping other gods and God decided to scatter the people. Now this leads to another very interesting aspect of this and that is that when we look at the uh, ancient chronologies that have been preserved, then... Again, we find that these chronologies all go back only to about 2,000 years or some a little over 2,000 years, maybe 2,000 up to 2,200 years. And it's interesting that these chronologies, the nations that were closest to the Tower of Babel, they go back the furthest. So the oldest chronologies were ones where we, um, a whole series of tablets containing astronomical records were actually presented to Alexander the Great um, by the uh, astronomers and astrologers there in, in Babylon at that time when Alexander the Great entered uh, Babylon um, around about... Um, 330-something B.C., so that, that order, I can't remember the exact date. So when we count back from the, they had the exact number of years, I can't remember the exact number of years, but when we uh, add them up and you add the 330, because it was 330 B.C. to that, it actually takes you back to a time a couple of hundred years after the flood. Uh, for memory, I think there was about 1,900 uh, years of, of records so given to Alexander the, the Great. So, and that took them back to the Tower of Babel time and just before that, the, the Tower of Babel time. So that's the oldest chronology. That is a, a, a history of astronomical records that go back and these were preserved on clay tablets. 
when we go to the the history of Egypt that was recorded by Menentho, for example, who was a priest that lived a couple hundred years BC uh, during the Greek occupation of um, Egypt. And again, when we look at the history that um, he wrote down of when um, Egypt was sort of conquered and, um, and other histories. Again, we find that was a little bit later, about 100 years later after the Babylonian history started than the Egyptian history started. And so this goes back to just over you know, 2000 BC. And then when we look at Greek history, it's a little bit more recent again. And then when we look at Chinese history, it goes back about uh, the bamboo annals go back to about uh, 1900 BC, just over, just below 2000 years BC. So when we look at these chronologies, when you write them down, you can see the youngest ones were furthest from the Tower of Babel, such as China. And so this again reflected the spreading of the nations from that time. So these are actual historical records that have been preserved and they corroborate really strongly the biblical dating for the flood. Now, of course, people can say, well, hang on, hang on. What about all this, you know, tree ring dating, ice core dating, um, and and the carbon-14 dating where we go back tens of thousands of years? And, of course, we know there's a lot of uh, popular uh, talk about um, the Indigenous Australian Aborigine people being here for 40,000 years, these sort of things. And the same one more recently in um, Chinese culture, the um, uh, some of the uh, literature that I've seen, again, pushes back the carbon-14 dating of some of their artefacts and so forth. I, I guess they get it from the carbon-14 dating, but they're pushing back the dates of... Uh, uh, some of their um, remnants of civilization now in China back to, again, the, in the order of 30,000, 40,000 years. But when we look at these dates, and I've talked about carbon-14 dating before, we have to remember that these dates are based on the carbon-14 levels in the current atmosphere at the present time, and they do the calculations. And also, they have to be the amount of carbon-14 that they find has to be calibrated against a calibration curve because we don't really know what the carbon-14 dating was in the past. And so when we do the measurements relevant to, and we get an age based on the current levels, and these dates are then dated as before present, which is before actually 1950, that's the arbitrary date that's chosen as before present, we have to take that carbon-14 measurement and because variation in the Earth's magnetic field varied cosmic rays which produce the carbon-14, we don't actually know what the carbon-14 level was back then. It was dilution effects because we don't actually know how much carbon dioxide was there. A lot of the carbon dioxide has been locked up since in coal and so forth since the flood. There's a whole lot of messy variables there. So the carbon-14 dating has to, in actual fact, be, as I've mentioned before, calibrated against the um, tree ring dating and ice core dating. Now, it's, this is very interesting because just recently I was reading some uh, research that was done where they were looking at 
the um, ice layers that were formed, and they were doing some uh, isotope measurements of um, uh, and looking at uh, uh, fallout and um, carbon dioxide changes. And they were looking, and they just drilled down an ice core, um, and it was two metres. And they said this represents approximately one year of um, a snow deposition down in Antarctica. And they were doing a lot of studies on the ice layers in the, in this area. And it's quite fascinating because here we've got um, approximately two, uh, two metres of ice deposited over approximately one year. And yet we have, say, two kilometres of ice core that they claim go back hundreds of thousands of years. Yet when we look at that, that would represent really somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 years when you look at the rate of deposition. Because if you have two metres deposited in a year, then it's going to take 1,000 years to deposit two kilometres. So there's a whole lot of issues with that ice core dating, and I've, I've talked about that. But one of the other ways, when they go back to further in the carbon-14 dating, they look at the tree ring dating and matching the, the uh, different level tree rings and they match the, the layers uh, of, of sediment that are formed. Now, one of the very interesting things that has been revealed when geologists have gone in and studied what happened after the Mount St. Helens eruption is really, really revealing. Because a couple of things happen. When uh, Mount uh, St. Helens uh, erupted on May 18 in 1980, um, the, this huge eruption blew out the side of the volcano. There was a massive amount of um, mud, water movements and you know landslides and and so forth associated with the um, eruption there. A whole lot of forests were just you know blown away and shattered. And as a result, a, a, of course, a, a lake formed, Spirit Lake, near the uh, Mount St. Helens Spirit Lake. Um, and as a result of the explosion, the water surface is now 75 metres higher than the pre-eruption area. And it now covers an area of um, approximately uh, 10 square kilometres or about twice the area before the eruption. And one of the things that they've found is what many of the trees, as a result of a giant water wave that was 260-odd metres high, that's 860 feet high, that scored the north slopes of the lake and it dumped about a million logs into this lake, forming a floating log mat. Now, what happened was, over time, these um, logs, many of them floated upright. And over the first 10 years or so after the eruption, about half of the original log which floated in the, the lake sank to the floor of the lake. And when scientists went down, scuba dived down into the lake and they examined, they found, you know, a lot of the, these logs 
were standing upright still, sitting on the bottom of the lake, and they were upright. Um, some of the logs had roots attached. Most of them had all the tops had been blown off the trees, and so it was the you know the thick part of the the tree, the trunk of the tree. And some of the logs were already buried in in sediment, about a metre deep already was uh, the the logs had been um, the these logs. So they were buried in this upright position in the bottom of the lake, covered with sediments that had been washed in already about some of them were about a metre deep. But the upright trees were at different depth levels in the lake. Now, this this actually was a highly significant observation because at a place called Specimen Ridge in the Yellowstone National Park, there is a similar preserved forest of vertical trees that have been preserved. And these trees are at different levels up the, the slope. And so these have been interpreted by scientists using the dendrochronology and ageing the trees as representing many different forests growing successively in the same place over a long period of time. And so what they do is when they're matching, uh, when they're working out these timescales, because as I said, when they do the carbon-14 dating, they have to look at the pattern of the tree rings in one tree and they look at a tree that's higher up and they say, well, that's uh, more recent and they find the tree trunk further down the slope and they say, well, this is, this is an older tree further down in the layers, uh, so this is an older tree. And then they'll look at some of the inner rings of that older tree and they'll see some squiggles in the pattern. Some are closer, some are a bit further apart. And then they'll look at some of the squiggles more towards the outer rings of the trees that are supposed to be younger. And they'll match those up. And so you can get a picture of what they're saying is that, okay, this older tree, um, or maybe I've got the wrong way around. Anyway, they, they match the, the tree rings on the older tree to be on the outer rings and then try and match those with the inner rings on the younger tree further at a, in a higher up in the sediment layer, which is presumed to be younger. And so that's how they extend with the tree ring uh, rings because, you know, the average tree might of those trees that lived a long time might live, you know, 500 years. Um, three or four or 500 years. I have Hewan Pine at home that has 360 tree rings in it uh, from a, um, a dead tree that I cut a, a section through uh, from um, uh, Lake uh, Gordon after the floodwaters uh, went down. And for those conservationists listening, I had a forestry permit to, to get the Hewan Pine. But... Um, so this is how the dates were, uh, were worked out, these long ages from the tree uh, den, uh, you know, dendrology, measuring the tree rings, is matching the squiggles from the older tree, the outer part of the older tree, to the inner section of the um, younger tree. 
And so they try to develop a continuous line. And this is what uh, how the uh, trees at Yellowstone Park were interpreted as providing evidence over many thousands of years. But what the Mount St. Helens volcano has eruption with Spirit Lake has clearly indicated is that these trees were all formed in a very short period of time, a day, when this massive forest, a million logs, were blown by this volcanic eruption into this particular lake. And uh, quite a significant percentage of them were left floating upright, began to be buried by sediments in that way, but at different levels, and yet they're all the same age. And so we know that this variation in the squiggles... um, um, and very, very difficult to, to match. And there's, um, you know, some of the articles that um, I've read when the data has been, you know, examined by creationists, they can't see the matching up of the squiggles, but yet other scientists said, oh, no, the squiggles do match up and this sort of thing in an attempt to, to form these dating uh, records. So it's a very subjective interpretation of whether the squiggles match, and it's a very, very difficult sense. And another thing that has been shown too is that you can have two trees growing virtually only a few metres apart, so essentially in the same you know, microclimate, and yet their patterns of their the growth rings will be slightly different. I mean, I've observed that with you know trees just in my in my own backyard, how the, um, you know, some trees grow, you know, faster than others and and so forth. So it's a very iffy business. And one of the things we need to remember is that these carbon-14 dating ages aren't absolute. Then they use the carbon-14 to get a reading a carbon-14 reading, but that then has to be interpreted against a calibration curve that is made from tree ring dating and um, the other one, of course, is the the VARFs, dating the carbon material in these layers that are formed in the lakes. Now, this was another thing that happened. There was a little Grand Canyon that also formed during this volcanic eruption and the subsequent landslides and mudslides that uh, that occurred um, at the uh, same at the same time, um, this uh, little Grand Canyon was formed in one day uh, from a mud flow that eroded the material that had blocked the north fork of the Toodle River. And as a result, the river flowed through the, the canyon formed by the mud flow. Now, of course, in the past we've been taught that these canyons are, are formed by, um, you know, the, the river flowing through the canyon over, over millions of years. And so this uh, little Grand Canyon on the uh, Turtle uh, River the eruption and the landslide had moved up to um, 180 uh, metres of new strata in different places had formed. And so it's interesting that these strata had formed as a result of the different mud flows and so forth as a result of the eruption. And 
one of those, one section that was looking, uh, that um, the geologists found was there was a, a 25 foot um, thick or eight metre thick uh, deposit. And this deposit consisted of thousands of thin layers of material. Now, if you looked at the, that eight metre series of layers, which was formed in less than one day, matter of fact, it probably only formed in a few hours, um, which was formed by the um, uh, ash layer moving down, the, that would have been interpreted as uh, occurring over thousands, if not millions of years. And so when we see these eruptions that uh, occurred and the effects of the eruptions and the layers that occurred that deposited this material and buried it very rapidly, the Mount St Helens eruption has showed that these strata layers that have been interpreted as these layers, each representing a year, in actual fact, thousands of these layers can form in just a few hours. And this is highly, highly significant because when they date, carbon date the material trapped in these valves and the layers, and I've read some of the review papers myself, that the material is often described as being you know, looking very fresh material, the leaves and the organic material that is preserved. And again, this is evidence that this material was buried very, very rapidly, not going to have fresh-looking leaves uh, preserved if they've been sitting there and this is just an annual layer and then the leaf somehow got buried and was preserved there for a year. It's it's going to break down and... and um, you know, we, we all see how quickly leaves break down once they fall off, off trees. So when we look at this evidence, and the Mount St Helens eruption provide a massive evidence showing that the sort of strata that scientists have traditionally interpreted as taking place over hundreds of thousands of years and millions of years can happen in a day, in a couple of days these effects can happen. And it's a beautiful illustration of this. And the other thing that we know, when we walk around, there's there's remnants of volcanoes just about everywhere and lava flows and dikes and sills that have, that have spilled out, showing that there was a time on the surface of this planet Earth where there was massive volcanic activity. And, of course, the Bible talks about the fountains of the deep opened up and... Um, you know, I, I believe this isn't just talking about just water fountains opening up, but it's also talking about lava and volcanic materials opening up as, as well. So a time of massive volcanic activity that created these uh, formations. So when we look at the dating, um, we have the biblical account, that's to me, and the historical accounts have been preserved. They're the most reliable accounts that we have. And they tell us uh, that the earth is young, that the surface of this earth is young, that life on earth is recent. You've been listening to Faith and Science. And remember, you can look at previous programs or re-listen to this program by going onto the web and Googling 3ABN Australia, or one word, 3ABN Australia, dot org 
www.radiosmith.com.au and click on the listen button and a range of radio programs will come up including Faith and Science and Science Conversations and other really great programs as well. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 